0: On this week's edition of New York Now, Governor Hochul gave herself 45 days to transition into office, and that ends this weekend. We'll see what she's done and what's ahead. Jimmy Veilkind from the Wall Street Journal and Marina Villeneuve from the Associated Press join me on that and the other news of the week. Then, Democratic party leaders want other Democrats to stay out of the race for governor, but a primary is already brewing. New York City Public Advocate Jamani Williams joins me to discuss his own potential campaign for governor. And later, thousands of New Yorkers still don't have access to high-speed internet. Daryl Camp reports on why and what can be done. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now.
1: Today, the Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day. Good. Like I've always done and always
0: well, feel Stand. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. We are now at the end of Governor Kathy Hochul's self-imposed transition period. When she was sworn in, Hochul said she would take 45 days to get settled and then run with it. And it has been a busy past 45 days. Hochul's had to deal with a mass transit crisis in New York City, historic flooding that killed more than a dozen people, the new school year, and of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. And during all of that, she's hired new staff, shook up her cabinet, and started to plan her agenda for next year. But Hochul also has a tough few months ahead in what will be another test of her ability to govern. 400 bills passed by the legislature are waiting to be signed. She has three months to figure out the state's $200 billion budget, and she also has a legislative agenda to build for next year. And that could get Pretty messy if the race for governor continues to heat up. We've already got a handful of Democrats who might jump in. And while behind the scenes, next year's race is probably on her mind, she's not getting into that publicly just yet. People want
2: to start chatter and conversations and all kinds of distractions early on before we get uh, closer to an election. I will not be distracted because that is not good for the people of New York if I'm out there running down and trying to respond to an I don't even know what people are saying in that space because that's not relevant to protecting the safety
0: of New Yorkers. So let's get a sense of the governor's first 45 days and what's to come with Jimmy Vielkind from the Wall Street Journal and Marina Villaner from the Associated Press. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. So it feels weird to me that it's only been 45 days because a lot has happened in that 45 days. And of course, before the 45 days, we had Governor Cuomo. So I guess the past two months to me just feels like it's been three years. But let's talk about the 45 days of Governor Hochul. Jimmy, what stood out to you about her so far in terms of what she's done, maybe differences between her and her predecessor? Well, I think that she
3: very clearly and and concertedly wanted to set a different tone than the last guy. Um, I think that she's talked a lot about and we've seen demonstrated collaboration with uh, legislators with local elected officials as she's moved through policy she has engaged stakeholders uh, well before sort of announcing big changes and i think the most significant things she's done uh, are a mask mandate for schools Mm -hmm. which took effect uh when classrooms opened in early september as well as holding firm on the previously announced mandate for healthcare workers to be vaccinated against the coronavirus. That is something for which she faced lots of pressure. Uh, it's something for which we have seen some disruptions in the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. But Hochul has held firm, and I believe it's now a policy that she's going to own, and I expect is going to be something that she will see is probably her first big mark as governor.
0: And she's already said that not too many hospitals have reached out to get state assistance in terms of staffing, because she did do an executive order saying, you know, students can jump in and help out and retired physicians and out of state, National Guard, things like that. I am surprised there haven't been more, but I guess we'll see, you know, this is only the first, first wave of, as we call it, of this kind of mandate. Marina, what about you? What stood out to you in the first 45 days?
1: Yeah, I think we've definitely seen a concerted push to get out the COVID rent relief and uh, relief for undocumented workers as well. Um, the governor said yesterday that pretty soon, like $800 million of rent relief money will have gone out, and that's out of $2 billion. There's still a lot of big issues with the program itself. I've spoken to A LOT OF TENANTS AND LANDLORDS um, WHO SAY like, ONE BIG ISSUE IS THAT IT'S REALLY HARD FOR SOME REASON FOR THE STATE TO BE ABLE TO CONTACT LANDLORDS TO ASK THEM TO FILL OUT MORE INFO. Hmm. Um, AND THE LANDLORDS I'VE SPOKEN TO SAY THAT SEEMS LIKE SOMETHING THAT'S PRETTY EASY. SO THEY'RE REALLY HOPING THAT THE ADMINISTRATION WILL BE ABLE TO DO THAT TO GET MORE MONEY OUT. BECAUSE RIGHT NOW THERE'S A LOT OF MONEY THAT'S COMMITTED BUT NOT GOING ANYWHERE. Um, and, uh, we've also seen her talk a lot about transparency and speeding up the process for getting public records, um, to the public, to the public who've requested them. I personally have gotten some FOIL requests that have been out there for, uh, well over a year, some of them, (laughs) but a lot of other them, a lot of others are still, um, SORT OF BEING EXTENDED AND I'M NOT GETTING RESPONSES ON. SO IT SEEMS TO BE A MIXED BAG, BUT IT'S SOMETHING THAT SHE'S REALLY STRESSING.
0: YES, I HAVE FILED MY FIRST FOIL REQUEST. I FILED IT, uh, I DON'T KNOW, I SAID IT ON THE SHOW WHENEVER I FILED IT. SO I GUESS LOOK BACK AT THE EPISODES. Um, And I HAVEN'T GOTTEN A RESPONSE YET IN TERMS OF, I HAVEN'T GOTTEN MY ANSWERS. IT WAS A VERY SIMPLE ONE. SO I GUESS WE'LL SEE. Uh, JIMMY, THAT'S AN INTERESTING QUESTION TO POSE TO YOU. YOU COVERED ANDREW CUOMO DURING HIS ENTIRE TEN YEAR AS GOVERNOR. It's only been 45 days for Kathy Hochul, but how do we see the government transparency part playing out? Because obviously I think that has to be a big part of her administration if she's gonna really contrast with Cuomo and his uh, numbers on the nursing homes.
3: You know, we have seen more data being made public. The health department has made explicit uh, a more fuller DEATH TOLL, THE NUMBERS THAT ARE BEING REPORTED BY THE STATE TO THE CDC, WHICH INCLUDE uh, GREATER FIGURES. And MARINA DID A LOT OF GREAT REPORTING ON THAT OVER THE SUMMER. Yeah. Uh, WE'VE ALSO SEEN NEW DATA ON BREAKTHROUGH INFECTIONS BEING PUBLISHED. Uh, I, I THINK THAT ANY GUBERNATORIAL ADMINISTRATION IS GOING TO TALK ABOUT TRANSPARENCY AND SAY IT VALUES TRANSPARENCY And then, uh, you know, still have some level of of tactical positioning to ensure its own benefit. Uh, I I don't think we're ever going to see a level of transparency that perhaps you get sometimes at a smaller local level or that we as reporters would would perhaps like to see. Uh, I have noticed uh, an increase in responsiveness in my reporting over the last 45 days compared to, uh, you know, the last administration but I I think it's still a little bit too early to tell. Yeah. Uh, But the the, the signs uh, have been trending positive from where I sit.
0: So, Marina, we have a very busy schedule ahead for the the governor. She has to plan her agenda for next year. She has to put together a budget. What are you watching for in the next few months in terms of the Hochul administration? Uh, For your reporting, obviously, but what are the interesting things that you're looking at?
1: Definitely, we know that the budget process is already underway um, with state agencies readying their proposals and their spending plans. Um, I'm definitely looking to see how much more money that New York or the federal government might be sending in COVID relief. Um, we know that the undocumented worker fund, the excluded workers fund, that's providing COVID assistance, has been um, is set to run out of money by the end of October. Um, and originally uh, advocates have been pushing for as much as 3.5 billion, and lawmakers ended up passing about two billion. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of need out there and a lot of pe- more people are qualifying for LIKE the top level of aid, of aid the $15,000 figure, which has mean that meant that fewer people are getting the assistance than um, originally estimated. And um, uh, the governors also requested more funding from the feds for rent relief. Right. Um, and that'll be interesting to see whether how that works out. Um, if you look at how much money New York has like set aside and spent on rent relief, New York is the top in the nation. But when it comes to how much New York has actually spent, it's still like in the top ten. But it's um, so it's it's sort of a. Up IN THE AIR WHETHER NEW YORK IS GOING TO GET EXTRA MONEY.
0: RIGHT, EXACTLY. I THINK THAT SHE'S HOPING FOR um, THE RENT RELIEF PART THAT OTHER STATES HAVEN'T SPENT IT SO THAT MAYBE WE CAN COLLECT SOME OF THEIR UNSPENT FUNDS, WHICH WOULD BE REALLY INTERESTING TO ME. Um, JIMMY, LAST QUESTION TO YOU. IN ABOUT A MINUTE, YOU FOLLOW THESE NUMBERS VERY CLOSELY IN TERMS OF THE STATE'S FINANCES. GOING INTO THE NEXT BUDGET, WELL, NOT THE BUDGET YEAR, BUT GOING INTO THE NEXT CALENDAR YEAR WHEN SHE PUTS TOGETHER HER EXECUTIVE BUDGET, WHAT KIND OF CHALLENGES IS Kathy Hochul facing?
3: Uh, she's in the money. Uh, the state is actually swimming in cash. We're flush. Um, yes, um, which is a very, very good place to be if you're an official who's up for re-election in 2022. Uh, it's always easier to spend money than to have to cut things back. So I'll be watching to see how the governor approaches this budget cycle and approaches this upcoming legislative season. For what will her initiatives be? What we've seen thus far is the continuation of some of the last guys' initiatives, changes over time, responses to natural disasters and to the ongoing pandemic. I'll be interesting to see where Kathy Hochul wants to put her stamp and come up with an idea. And I'm sure that expenditures uh, and policy we'll be, we'll be hearing more about in December and January.
0: I'm excited to see it. Jimmy Vielkind from the Wall Street Journal, Marina Villanueva from the AP. Thank you both so much. So it has certainly been a big week for politics in New York. We know a handful of Democrats are thinking about running for governor next year, challenging Governor Hochul for the top spot on the ticket. And while the primary won't be held until June, the Democratic Party is already trying to shore up support for Hochul. State Democratic Chair Jay Jacobs said this week that he doesn't want other Democrats to enter the race and split the party ahead of next year. And apologies for the quality, this was over Zoom. And I believe that a party torn apart by multiple candidates in multiple primaries for multiple offices will exhaust precious resources, divide us, and make us weaker in a year that we need to be at our strongest. That didn't sit well with some Democrats, including those considering their own run for governor. One of those Democrats is Jemani Williams, who's openly exploring a bid for governor himself. He's the elected public advocate in New York City, and he was also the first person in the country with Tourette syndrome to be elected. And if his name sounds familiar, you might remember that he ran for lieutenant governor in 2018 and almost beat Hochul in that race. We spoke this week. New York City public advocate Jimani Williams, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, anytime. So, this week, State Democratic Chair Jay Jacobs said that he did not want a primary in the race for governor next year, challenging Governor Kathy Hochul for the ticket. You were considering a run yourself. Tell me what's going through your mind. What's going to be the final decider, whether you run or you don't run?
4: You know, I believe that we've given a pretty good indication by even opening the exploratory committee. Uh, we did the same uh, in 2018 when we ran for lieutenant governor, and, and we ultimately ran. Um, but I, I believe it does make sense to open up an exploratory committee, share the vision that we have, and, and make sure that our uh, people are receptive to it. And so far, they really are, and we're very excited about moving forward.
0: So you've been going to different parts of the state in the past year or so. Governor Kathy Hochul has an advantage in that as lieutenant governor, she really had to travel the whole state for that job. So for people watching the show that just don't know who you are and what you're about, give me an elevator pitch.
4: Why should you be the next governor of New York? You know, really, I, I believe people understand the dire situation that we're in. And quite frankly, most people will tell you they're not better off than they were just a few years ago. Uh, and there's a reason for that. And as we try to recover and renew New York State, we really can't do it with the same infrastructure that was there before that helped us get here, that helped us become the, uh, the epicenter of the epicenter, that helped us get to all the problems that we are now. And so we can't just be, start reshuffling again and uh, a little off the elevator pitch. But one of the things that we said when we jumped in was that just removing someone like Andrew Cuomo doesn't change the infrastructure of Albany. And as you mentioned, you know, right after we said that, we saw the chair of the Democratic party do what he always does and, and really try to push off a primary vote before we even had a chance to make our decision, which is uh, the procedures of old. And we said before that the procedures of old can't work. And instead of focusing on a election coming up in November, which is a general election where there's a Democratic nominee in Buffalo going against a Republican-backed opponent, uh, where they neither Jay Jacobs actually all the governor would endorse, they're focusing on a primary in 2022 where he should actually be impartial. So tell me, why not Kathy Hochul?
0: I think she's relatively new to a statewide audience. She said that she's tried to distance herself from former Governor Andrew Cuomo, who she was his LG. So tell me, why not Kathy Hochul to be the next elected governor of New York?
4: You know, at the moment, we're trying to present the vision that we have, and we're trying to run for something, not necessarily against anyone. Uh, So we're gonna try to stay focused in how we think the, the state should be run. I will say that most of what I'm thinking Uh, hasn't really changed since 2018. It's evolved, of course, because of the changes that have occurred. But when I ran in 2018, we said that Albany wasn't working then, and most people agreed. And we ran and said, well, what if we have a lieutenant governor that will have the courage to stand up vocally when something is wrong? Uh, And I actually believe if we had a lieutenant governor that did that for the past few years, we might not have gotten as bad as we did. Um, and it's not to say again that there's any one person, but the lack of someone really standing up when someone's trying to cut Medicaid, or when one, someone is having ethical violations, much less the travesty that actually occurred uh, that you know brought the, the Governor Cuomo down, we might not have been in the situation. And so I think folks are trying to present themselves as you know better flavors of a menu item. And I think people are understanding now we just needed an entirely new menu because the menu hasn't worked. So give me your top
0: one, two, three issues that you would really want to focus on if you were elected governor. Is it just that government and transparency stuff that you were talking about, or are there other issues that you would really want to focus
4: on coming into office? Well, we have a very good track record of making decisions, what's best for the people we represent versus what's best politically. And so we have to have someone that's going to take the political risks as long as it's the right thing to do. I would say, again, as we're renewing and recovering, we have to make sure we do that not forgetting anyone, and that is from the farmer uh, in the North Country or the Black trans woman uh, from Brooklyn, New York, and we have the ability to do that. Uh, But if I had to pick a few, you know, the things we've been working on for so many years from housing insecurity, uh, whether tenants uh, who need, who can be homeless in just a few weeks, or homeowners, small one or two family homeowners who are facing foreclosure themselves. Public safety is a huge one. We see gun violence, Um, burgeoning in cities across the state and and across the country. Uh, The access to mental health and health is tremendous. Climate change, education, and uh, transportation are huge issues all across the state. And what we've learned is that many of these issues are very similar. They've tried to force this upstate-downstate divide. And and when we ran last time, we, we realized that all of us combined and united can really address all of these concerns uh, in a in a very good way if we have someone who's uh, about erasing that divide and really using Albany for the benefit of all New Yorkers.
0: So when you talk about cleaning up Albany, are we just talking about the governor's office or are we talking about the legislature as well? Obviously we've seen plenty of corruption there. I'm wondering how you feel about that.
4: There are a lot of issues with Albany. What it stems from is you know, the problems we've seen nationally Incumbency protection is usually the main thing that drives decision-making in politics. And we have to elect people that, one, understand that their seat is not more important than the people they represent. And that doesn't mean that you don't want to get reelected. That doesn't mean that you don't want to go to higher offices, of course you do. But the main goal can't be that. And what we've seen all across politics, including Albany, are decisions being made of how we protect the person that's uh, in the seat already. That is the same thing we saw with Jay Jacobs when he when he jumped out. It's about the incumbency protection, not about what's best for the people of the state. That alone, getting someone in who has shown that they will take the risks, that they will stand up even if other people aren't because it's the right thing to do, is a critical first step. You would think it's a simple thing, but it's not. And we've seen how it's played out time and time again, not just with Andrew Cuomo, but before him. Uh, people who are, as you mentioned, and other elected positions. And of course, there are people too often there uh, who enrich themselves. And I think we can do that by starting from the head, by starting from the top. Someone who hasn't come up through the system that way, learning that way. But as I actually said, you, you know, we have to call out the system. And hopefully that's beneficial to someone like me politically, but more important, um, it's beneficial to the people of the state of New York.
0: All right, well, we will see how this all shakes out. Jamani Williams, a potential candidate for New York governor next year and the New York City Public Advocate,
4: thank you so much. Thanks for having me, and look forward to another discussion.
0: And we have asked Governor Hochul to come on the show, but so far we haven't heard back from her campaign and her office hasn't made her available just yet. But turning now to an issue that affects thousands of New Yorkers and became a lifeline during the pandemic, high speed internet. Daryl Camp is here with more,
2: Daryl. That's right, Dan. Access to broadband became really important last year during the pandemic when people had to work remotely and kids had to log on to go to school. And while the state has tried to create universal access to broadband, we're not there yet, and we don't know how that's going to happen. I spoke with lawmakers and experts for a closer look. Electricity, water, gas, three services that many New Yorkers would find it hard to live without. Over the past 18 months, those services were protected for those in financial hardship. And with many people working and learning from home, the pandemic shined a light on another service that is hard to live without, high-speed internet or broadband. Even pre-pandemic, access to broadband in New York has been an issue for years. Former Governor Andrew Cuomo even tried to kick one of the largest internet service providers, Spectrum, out of the state when the company was slow to expand internet access across New York that 's something the company agreed to do when it bought Time Warner Cable a few years back that 's gotten better, but thousands of New Yorkers still don 't have access to broadband and with how vital it's become to everyday life, some say it should be regulated as a utility like gas and electric. Richard Berkeley leads the public utility law project in New York, we need two kinds of availability of broadband first is actual retail availability, and we call that physical access. The other is affordability, and that's social access, but that also requires for the fairly large number of households in New York that don't have any kind of broadband, They need to have the devices and they need to have the knowledge. For New York's rural communities, access continues to be an issue because the infrastructure just isn't there. And the cost to build out that infrastructure isn't cheap. Senator Peter Oberacher is from Otsego County. He is the top Republican on the Internet and Technology Committee. And he's seen firsthand how building out broadband can be near impossible for those without access.
3: The nine counties that I represent in the 51st are, are very rural, and so the challenge is really is the topography, is, is the distance between homes. Now, here's the, here's the interesting part. I don't have it at my house. It's a mile from my house. And to get it there, we were inquiring about it, and it was, uh, it was north of uh, $50,000 to get it to come to my house.
2: The state has claimed that 98% of households in New York have access to broadband, but that number can be misleading. It comes from the FCC, which measures data by census block. And because of how it's collected, that data doesn't reflect access to broadband on a house-by-house level. Assemblyman Angelo Santa Barbara is a Democrat from the Albany area who chairs the State Commission on Rural Resources.
0: Our mapping in New York State is not good. It's it goes by census block. It's a very old way of identifying who has service and who doesn't. So census blocks are very very large, as you can imagine in rural communities. That's very problematic. So anywhere from 240 to 1,200 homes uh, in a census block, and the way the methodology is is even if one home out of there, one home is served, they consider that census block to have service. That's obviously not true.
2: And access to broadband can be even worse for older generations. That was the case during the pandemic when a lot of everyday life shifted online. Bill Ferris from AARP says that created a digital gap between seniors and the services they need.
3: There's studies out there in New York that say that 40% of older New Yorkers 65 and older don't have access to the internet. And uh, that's a problem, especially with the increasing of the use of telehealth that we have seen during the pandemic, both uh, for federal programs and state health uh, care programs, access to the internet is actually becoming essential here in New York, especially for the people we represent.
2: But access to broadband isn't just an issue in New York's rural communities, it's also a problem in New York cities. Stuart Reed from the Harlem-based Digital Divide Partners works on providing access to people who live in public housing. He says that availability does not necessarily equal access. Of those half a million people, a full 50% do not have Internet access at home. And that is compounded by the fact that 50% of the population is unemployed and the average average income of this group is at the poverty level, just hovering above $25,000. Reed says it would go a long way if there were free, universal internet access and in public housing. But for rural New Yorkers, there's more to consider, like the infrastructure issue and the cost for providers. Senator Daphne Jordan represents a district in the Capital Region that has urban, suburban, and rural areas. And she says broadband expansion faces several hurdles, like something called the fiber optic tax. Because now under New York state law they have to pay for the uh, the right of way along the roads for which their their broadband expansion is going to run no other utility has to do that just place that on broadband provider it's like one of those cheap money grabs one solution jordan says would be to issue tax credits to residents and businesses who have to pay providers to expand service into their area But Oberacher, the senator from Otsego, says there's also a disconnect for some lawmakers between how access to broadband varies in rural areas versus cities. He says he'd like to bring other members of the Senate to his district to show them why it's different.
3: And then that would lead for us to also educate bringing in Uh, private industry, bringing in the actual suppliers and, and the same thing and having that dialogue.
2: But there could also be a common solution to help both rural and urban areas with broadband access, and that's funding. Here's Berkeley again. New York built the Erie Canal, the largest public private project of its day, the most successful one ever built. So the Erie Canal was so successful and it was a combination of private and public money that even before it was finished, it had to be bigger to meet the needs of the state. And New York opened the West because of the Erie Canal. So I think we can do this kind of thing right. I think it's a shame that we have to, you know, toss public money into this, but if we do this, then, you know, we will get the outcome that we need. And in September, Governor Kathy Hochul announced the Broadband Mapping Consumer Survey with the goal of getting a more accurate picture of where broadband internet is available and how robust the service is. A final report is expected from the state sometime next May.
0: All right, thank you so much, Daryl. Maybe we will see some movement on broadband under the Hochul administration. But we'll leave it there for this week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.